Well, this morning we're kicking off a a brand new message series called Christmas Messages. And and understand, there there are so many powerful messages that are within the the first Christmas story uh, uh, that was lived out 2,000 years ago. This morning we're going to talk about the message of destiny. Uh, Next week we're going to talk about the message of, uh, of obedience. On the 23rd, we're going to talk about the message of salvation, right? Because that's the, that's the big deal, right? That, that's when he came. And, and we're also going to kind of unofficially or officially call that Baptism Sunday, right? If that's not something you've done yet, if you've, you love Jesus and you've not surrendered to him in baptism, I encourage you to pray about it, think about it. You don't have to wait till that Sunday. You can call me up later today or after service. But, uh, and we have some good, if you go to our website, we got a lot of good information on there under what we believe. You can check that out. Um, scriptures uh, talk about baptism. And then um, Christmas Eve, that's at uh, 5 p.m., one service, we're going to talk about a message. We're going to see the message about God. We learn about God in the Christmas story. Okay, uh, let's do this uh, Christmas messages thing, all right? Uh, a message of destiny. Here's a, a definition of the word destiny, uh, a couple of definitions of it. The uh, predetermined, usually inevitable or irresistible course of events. Uh, the power or agency that determines the course of events. The inevitable or necessary fate to which a particular person or thing is destined, one's lot. And, and here's some, some quotes about destiny I, I came across that I, I like. Uh, our history is not our destiny, right? That's good, right? Aren't you glad that your history is not your destiny? Here, here's another one. It is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. Here's another good one. Destiny is no matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. It's not a thing to be waited for. It's a thing to be achieved. C.S. Lewis, hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. Um, um, J.K. Rowling's destiny is the name often given in, in retrospect to choices that had dramatic consequences. A person, oh, this is a really good one, a person often meets his destiny on the road he took to avoid it. Uh, we've been called out of the mundane into a life beyond our wildest imaginations. We have a mission, a purpose, a destiny. T.S. Eliot Destiny waits in the hand of God, shaping the still unshapened. I really like that. And uh, Dag Hammarskjöld, we are not permitted to choose the frame of our destiny, but but what we put in it is ours. If you guys would stand, I want to read some scriptures. And and, and sometimes, we do it all the time because, you know, you guys could get tired every time I read scripture, right? Up, down, up, down, right? But every now and then we stand when I read God's word, because it is God's word. I mean, because it, it is living and active, right? It was breathed by the creator of the universe, so it's, it's a sign of respect. And as I read these 2,000-year-old words, well, what if they're true? And you've probably heard these before, but what if they're true, right? What if these words are true, and what if you actually believe them? So listen along as I just read them. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Isaiah 43, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his Son. For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, he, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want you to repeat after me. And, and, and this may sound weird, but you, if you've been here long enough, I'm weird. And, and, and you're still here, so you must be weird too. Or you enjoy watching a weird person. But, you know, if you would close your eyes, right, and, and just repeat these. We don't, you don't have to shout these things. Sometimes I'm into shouting. And that's, but just repeat these truths from those scriptures with your eyes closed so there's no distraction and, and knowing that they're true. I'm made in the image of God. I was made for God's glory. I am the light of the world. I am becoming more and more like his son. I am God's masterpiece. There are good works God created me to do. Amen. You can open your eyes and be seated. That's who you are. That's your destiny. Here's how I like to define destiny as, a, as far as us as Jesus followers. Um, destiny, our destiny as Jesus followers is to become more and more like him and bring him glory by doing all the good things he created us to do. Our destiny as Jesus followers is to become more and more like him. That's your destiny. And to bring him glory, how? By doing all the good things he created us to do. I understand, that's the frame, right? That's the frame of each of our destinies. I love that quote. We're not permitted to choose the frame of our destiny. That, that, that's your frame, right, as a Jesus follower. But what you put into it, right, it'll be different. It'll be unique because we are all unique masterpieces within that frame. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father God, we love you, we need you, we praise you, we worship you. God, we came here to adore you. That's what we sang. And God, we know what has happened in our lives once your love got a hold of us. And God, I pray that you'll just be with us right now, that we'll just breathe out every distraction and realize that you have a greater destiny for us than we can imagine, and there's still time to grab a hold of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I understand in the first Christmas message, we see this message of destiny in the lives of three people, an elderly couple and a teenage girl. They're three of my favorite characters in the whole Christmas story. Um, and they're three characters who were not expecting to be part of the uh, family photo of the coming of the Messiah, unless they photobombed it. Uh, this week, I started searching for some of the great photobombs of all time. I just has nothing to do with my message, right? Okay, that's a good one. I like it. I like that one. Woo woo! All right, there's the baby right there. That's creepy, right? You get home and find that, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. I love this. That camel got to get in there. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. And then, you got to love this one right here. I love this one. Woo! Okay. All right. All right. Enough. Of, okay, nothing with my message, but that's cool. Photobomb fun, right? 
hey, why don't you do that? No, don't do that. You can mess up somebody's photo. But anyhow, all right, let's unpack this message of destiny that, we, that is found in the first Christmas. Uh, the first point in your notes is destiny. It's, it's, never, it's never too late. Now, this message of our destiny begins in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. We read these words. In the time of Herod, king of Judah. Uh, this would be the guy known as Herod the Great. He was a puppet king of the Roman Empire, and he was a crafty and cruel politician. He's the same guy that uh, uh, Matthew says ordered the, the murder of all the male babies in Bethlehem in an effort to, to kill Jesus. Murdering innocent babies. That's, uh, that's horrible, but that's pretty much how he did business. I mean, uh, one time he, he murdered his wife and his two sons, and when he was on his deathbed, he was afraid that nobody would mourn him, and so he had all the influential people in the area arrested, put them in jail, and said, at the moment I die, I want all them to be executed so someone will cry on the day of my death. Uh, fortunately, his, his sister and his son did not carry out that order. In addition to all this, you know, Herod was one of the most legendary builders of all times, building epic structures, cities, palaces, temples, and places of worship, including the temple in Jerusalem. Um, they, they've unearthed some of the original, original stones from the wall that Herod built, and every stone is cut 36 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet, and it weighs as much as a Boeing 747 with Herod's logo on every one. So wherever you walk, you're like, that's amazing. Herod, Herod, Herod. It's like the, the Nike swish on everything. The whole city is dedicated to Herod. We even call it, right, the temple. We call it what? Herod's temple. And understand, this is the setting, the times of Herod, for the, the greatest event in human history, the coming of Christ. But listen, it, it didn't look like a time that anything great would happen from a a spiritual perspective. God had been silent for 400 years. The last prophet to speak was Malachi, and God had said nothing in 400 years. It's been years and years of a Roman occupation, and so most people, they'd given up hope. And when it came to faith and following God's commands, they felt, why bother? I mean, what difference does it make anyhow doing the right thing? Nothing changes. However, there was a faithful remnant, and we're about to meet two of them. There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Uh, so what do we know uh, about this couple? Quite a lot, right? That you know, he, he, He's a priest, he's a pastor, now, she's a priest, a pastor's wife, and she's also, you know, she's a, a, she was a priest or pastor's kid growing up. And they're both very old. They're well advanced in years. King James says they're stricken, <laughs> stricken in years. And they have no children. And they're beyond the age where you're, you're expected to have a child. And emotionally, this is devastating. But in that culture, it's also, it's also dangerous financially, you see, unlike in our day, there were no care centers, no assisted living, there, there was no social security. And when you got old, your children in general and your sons specifically, they looked after you. Therefore, being old and having no sons equaled great danger. 
But listen, even though things did not go their way, even though God had not answered their prayers, they never turned their backs on God. God, we, we know that you're the one who opens and closes the womb. We believe in the Bible. And if you gave us a baby, that would be awesome. We would love to be parents. But if not, we're still going to love you. We're still going to serve you and do the right things. And they did. I mean, they're in their 80s, their prayers still unanswered, and still they're in ministry, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're, they're serving, even though. Question, do you have an even though faith? A faith that says, even though things do not go my way, even though things don't turn out the way that I want them to turn out, I'm still going to worship, I'm still going to serve, I'm still going to give, I'm still going to follow you and do the right thing to the very end. Even though, Luke continues, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. That was the custom of the priest. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and turn and burn incense. When the incense was burned, a great, cow, a great crowd stood outside praying. Here's a kind of a schematic of what it looked like. You, you, it's probably hard to see. The, 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 the highest building there is where you have the holy place Behind that is the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. And I saw on the news that someone think they found it again, right? You know, didn't even need Indiana Jones, right? And, and, and you can see the different courts and things like that. And, and during this time, there are approximately 21,000 priests divided into 24 divisions and, and with 900 in each. And each division would serve two weeks every year. And what they would do every time they would gather, they would, they would roll dice you know, they cast lots to see who would get to do the big job. And the big job was to go into the, the holy place and, and, and to offer incense on the altar, right? And, and they, if they were lucky, they got to do it. But they only got to do it one time, and it's a really big deal. This is like their Super Bowl. And the whole goal is to be one of those priests. And, and that's how it works. And every year, Zechariah, for, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe 30, 40, 50 years, he goes to Jerusalem, they cast lots, and he never gets picked. I mean, he's like the guy in gym class, right? He never gets picked. And now he's getting pretty old, and he's starting to think, you know what? I, maybe I'll never get picked to do this job, because some guys never did get picked. Did you ever feel that way? Like this being used by God, you know, like you feel like it never really is going to happen for you. But listen, Zachariah, he keeps showing up. Which is a good thing, because the truth is, destiny unfolds in God's timing, not ours, right? It, it unfolds in God's timing, not ours. And then one day, they, they roll the dice, and Zechariah, it's your turn. So he goes into the most holy, he goes into the holy place, he, he throws incense on the altar, and the people will be outside on their knees praying to God during the times of prayer. And, 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 what, and what the incense represented was prayer, and, and, and uh, and prayer is portrayed in Scripture in a powerful way in Revelation chapter 5. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. By the way, that's, that's a good posture before Jesus. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So when you pray, think of it that way. Every time you pray, think of incense... Rising up 
to the very throne of God, sitting in a golden bowl every single time you pray. And so here's Zacharias, this big moment. He, he comes in, he, it's a, it's a one-shot deal. He, he puts the incense in the altar, he closes his eyes, he prays, he opens his eyes, and here's what happens. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. No kidding, right? I know we like to put angels as cute little cuddly babies, but listen, if we ever saw a real angel, the last thing we'd want to do is cuddle him, right? You know, we would not want to cuddle him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth. The name John means the Lord is gracious, and he is, right? And I love that picture, right? I love watching God show up in someone's life, especially someone who's been faithful for years, even though, right? Even though. For he'll be great in the eyes of the Lord, in God's eyes. Now, I understand, Herod thinks he's something special, right? I mean, you are when you call yourself Herod the Great. But the angel says, no, not really. John will be the great one. Sure, Herod will make more money, build more buildings, subjugate more people, have more followers, but he won't give himself to humbly serving God. Your son will, and he'll be the great one in my eyes. You see, we have to fight the temptation to let greatness be defined by the values of this upside-down world and by people like Herod. This past week, our nation mourned the passing of George H.W. Bush, our 41st president of the United States. You know, I recorded and then later watched the state funeral service. It was powerful. And I especially loved the eulogy given by his son, Bush 43. Here's how he ended it. When the history books are written, they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States, a diplomat of unmatched skills, a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishments, and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. You know, all good and great stuff, but then, then George W. kind of drills down and, and points out, hey, but here's what's really great, and he, he quotes something his dad said when he was inaugurated. He continues, in his inaugural address, the 41st president of the United States said this, we cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account, but we must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent, a citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer here, that we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us, or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship. Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and so much more. Here's the bottom line. If you love God and if you serve God, if you accept his will for your life, if you, if you walk with him faithfully, being and doing whatever he calls you to do, running the unique grace he's marked out for you, living a life that brings him glory by doing the things he's asked you to do. If you are growing and loving him and loving others, and if you're striving to leave his church 
specifically us, make will grow better than you found in it. They are great in God's eyes. And you know what? The, maybe most of the world will never know your name. But in the eyes of God, the one who matters, you're very significant and you're great in God's eyes. Wouldn't you rather be great in God's eyes than great in the world's eyes? I love this Christmas message. Zechariah is no one from nowhere doing in the eyes of the world nothing. And God says, I heard your prayers. I've seen your even though faith. Here comes your son. He will be grace to you. And he'll be great in my eyes. And may that be said of us and our children and our children's children that they are great in the eyes of God. He continues, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. My goodness, we need that in our country. And he'll cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm old now, and my wife is also well advanced in years. In other words, it's, I'm too old. We're too old. It's too late. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. I love it. Gabriel's like, come on, are you serious, dude? <laughs> you're like, like, like you're doubting what I'm saying? But now since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Listen, what God says will happen, will happen always at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When the time of his service was completed, he finished his job. He returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's looked upon me with favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I love that picture. For five months, you know what she's doing? She's worshiping God. She's rubbing her belly. She's making baby blankets. She's setting up the nursery. And she's rejoicing that she has a mute husband. <laughs> oh, God, I thank you for this baby. And I thank you for making my husband mute. I think my wife would like a mute button. I'm a morning person. I love that picture. God loves her. God's blessed her. He's answered her prayers, and she's going to be a mom. He's going to be a prophet who prays away for the Lord. And if they're here today, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you know what they would tell us? With a smile on their face, a gleam in their eye, it's never too late to be used by God. Never too late. Our destiny as Jesus' followers is to become more and more like him and bring glory to him by doing all the good things he created us to do. Quickly, what are some reasons why it make people think it's too late? One would be, I'm too old, right? And God would say, really? Are, are you, like, serious? Like, Moses was 80. Caleb was 85. Abraham was 90. Zechariah and Elizabeth, probably in their 80s. And, and listen... Yeah, the older you get, the way you bring God glory and the way you serve him and the good things you do change. But listen, as long as you're breathing, God wants your life to bring him glory and there are good things that 
you would like him to do. Here's a picture of a lady who did just that. Right there. That's Mary Valores. Right there. In a nursing home, in her 90s, in a nursing home, on Compassion Sunday, right? Ministering right there. She didn't say, well, you know what? I'm too old. No. She said, you know what? I can do something. I can get my cane and have someone help me into a room of somebody in a nursing home who doesn't have a family maybe, and I can just give them a hug and smile at them, right? You know? No, that's not what she did when she was 20 and 25, teaching up in Massachusetts, you know, teaching Sunday school, not doing the same thing, but really doing the same thing, right? Because she's honoring God, all right? So you need to erase that excuse from your mind that you're too old. It's a lie. If you're breathing, it's a lie. It changes, but find out how you can bring God glory. Another thing people can say, it's too late for me because I messed up too many times. Okay, how many people have you murdered? <laughs> how many Christians have you killed? David, Samson, Paul? You're going to tell me that, that you've messed up too many times, that God can't use you? You wasted too many opportunities. Really? That's your excuse? You, Joseph, being used by God, got delayed because he let his pride get to him. Uh, Peter missed that great opportunity to stand by the Lord, right, on that Thursday night. But guess what? God gave them another opportunity, right? And God still was able to use them even though they missed opportunities in the past, right? If you don't mind, you know, look a couple people in the eye and just tell them it's never too late to be used by God. And the next one in your notes is it's never too early. Luke writes beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of, of who? King David. Now, why is that important, right? Because the Bible promised, the prophets promised, God promised that the Messiah would come through the line of, the line of David. And so this is probably an exciting time for Mary, right? I mean, she's young, she's engaged. She's looking forward to and planning her wedding. Has anyone here ever planned a wedding? Right? It, it's fun, right? It's great times, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, that's what Mary's thinking about, right? She's thinking about her wedding, counting the days down to her wedding day. All is fine, all is normal, all is well. She's even said yes to the dress, Right? Some of you know what that means. I've watched that show with my, my daughter and wife sometimes. It's kind of crazy. Say yes to the dress. All right, she got the dress. She's ready to go. And then Gabriel enters the picture. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I, I find it interesting that Zachariah is kind of terrified when he sees the angel. And Mary's more just disturbed and confused. Like, why would I be highly favored? Why would God highly favor me? Do you ever feel the same way? Because I'm here to tell you that you are highly, every one of you is highly favored by the Lord. God so loves you, right? You know, you are highly favored. Just like her. And it is kind of confusion, isn't it? Because you confused. Con, so, con, 
I said it right. Did I say it right? You ever say a word that doesn't sound right, comes out right, but you didn't know it was right, but it wouldn't be was? <laughs> yeah, I are a communicator. All right. Don't be afraid, Mary the angel told her, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now think about that. You know, once she's probably about 14 years old. But think about anybody getting a message like that, right? That, hey, by the way, you're about to give birth to God. You know, that, that is crazy. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. That's a very valid question, right? Angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the whole, Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born to you will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. See, it's not what people say, it's what God says, right? Maybe people used to say this about you. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Understand, our, our God is a God of can. God of can. Our God can create everything out of nothing. Our God can take an elderly woman and open up her womb to give birth to a child. Our God can take a 14-year-old virgin like Mary and give her a son. Our God can part seas. He can calm storms. He can bring peace to any conflict. He can defeat any enemy. Our God can slay any giant. Our God can forgive all our sins through the blood and cross of Jesus. Our God can raise us up from the dead. And our God can prepare a certain ensure forever with him. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Our God is able. He can. He is able. And that is why we are happy and hopeful. And that is why we sing and pray. Because our, our God is the God of the impossible. A, a God who takes nobodies from nowhere to do great things. That's what he does. Nothing's impossible with God. And so Mary takes it all in. And then this 14-year-old girl gives one of the most amazing, amazing responses to God ever given. I'm serious. It's legendary. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I love it. Here's a simple 14-year-old girl from a simple town. She knows very little. She's not been firmly educated. She doesn't have a Bible on her phone app. She only has bits and pieces of scriptures that she treasures in her heart. But here's what Mary has. Mary has faith. Mary actually believes what God says. I understand, most of us in this room, right, we have, we have more information than her, but we have far less faith in it. And we think, I got to learn more. Yeah, maybe we do. However, first things first. How about believing what we already know? I mean, what is it that you already know that God wants you to really believe? How about, just I'll throw one up there. How about that his grace is enough? Now, how about that his blood is enough to forgive you of your sins and you don't have to earn that forgiveness? right? Even though you messed up again and again with the same thing. How about his grace is enough if you repent of that sin, right? How, how about believing that and walking out free today? She knows very little, but she trusts it all. 
takes God out of his word. She says, you know what? I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever he wants, that's what I want. It's up to him. It's not up to me. It's his story, not mine. And remember, before Gabriel showed up and crashed her wedding plans, she had a script for her life. I'm going to marry Joseph. It's going to be an awesome wedding. My wedding dress is actually going to fit. We're going to have children. No one's going to think bad things about me. But then the angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, I have a new script. And Mary says, even though I don't fully get it, and maybe I don't really like it, whatever the Lord wants is what I want. He gets to write the script for my life. I love him. I trust him. I am the Lord's servant. May he do to me as he has said, says this high school, junior high school girl. Destiny, it's never too early. Now, why would some people think it's too early? Number one, it would be because people think I'm too young. Josiah was eight when he became king, and when he was 16, along with another teenager, Jeremiah, brought revival across the land. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, don't let, anyone look, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. You know, the youth group at Maple Grove is called Divine. And, you know, they, you, you, they are involved in our worship on Sunday mornings from being up here. You know, it, it, is a, it is a student that creates every sermon slide you see on the screen. Uh, Ten or more involved in children's ministry. Uh, during our spring break, 25 or more students gave up their spring break to spend eight hours for five days working with students that came from our community. You know, it, it's awesome. These, yeah. And, and, you know, these young people are making Maple Grove better than they found it, right? And, and I make no apologies to say, well, we got a lot of youth doing a lot of things you don't see in other places. I, I don't care. The youth are the church of the day, not tomorrow. And if they're servants here today at, at 14, 15, and 16, what do you think they're going to be doing when they're 25, Right? They're going to be serving God, right, and bringing God glory. And, and, and maybe, just maybe, you know, some, of, some folks sitting out there need to follow their example, right, and serve. And ask yourself, how am I making Maple Grove better? What am I doing tangibly to make this church better and more the church Jesus desires, right? Another reason people may think it's too early is because I got to live a little first, right? You ever heard this lie? Right? And I tell you, I can't tell you how much it grieves me, ticks me off, saddens me when Christian parents expect their children to grow up and be rebellious in their teenage years. Like, well, that just, no, it's not what has to happen. It doesn't have to happen that way. You know, yeah, so far, you know, with God's help and a great wife, you know, we're three for three, right? And we got two more to go. You know, they didn't rebel. They didn't respect us. You know, they got married the right way. They got married in purity, the ones that are married. You know, and, and, and how, how disservice to our kids, Christian parents. Well, they're just going to do that. They're going to drink. They're going to party. They're going to do all these things. No, they don't have to do that, right? Let's not, let's not give in to that. I'll get off my soapbox. Oh, I twisted my knee. You get old. <laughs> I'm well advanced in years. I should have stayed on that soapbox. 
if something is thrown because I need to straighten some, get some stuff straightened out first. That's so dumb. And I've thought that before, right? How about following Jesus and he'll straighten you out along the way, right? That's the plan, right? You know? You don't have to get nothing straightened out. You just get with Jesus and let him take care of it. What about I don't know enough? Well, do you know who Jesus is and what he's done for your life? In Mark 5, I met a, we met a demon-possessed guy and our faith comes from hearing as we consider him during this Christmas season, right? He didn't know a whole lot. And he, you know what Jesus said? Hey, you know, go back to your hometown and tell them what I've done for you and the mercy I had on you. It's never too late and it's never too early to be used by God. And here's what I know this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, no matter your age, there's more glory that God wants to show through your life. There, there are more good things that he wants you to do. There is more becoming like Jesus that he wants to see lived out in your life. And it's not too late and it's not too early. And you don't do it on your own. So you don't do it on your own. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 1.19. Like it's a true verse. Paul, Paul prayed this prayer because it would be hard for you and I to understand it. Paul goes, hey, I'm praying for these people that they would somehow understand that that, this, that God has this incredibly great power available to them who believe. It's like every single believer, Paul says, has the power, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is available to them to live the life God created them to live. And Paul prayed that prayer. Man, help them know they have that power. Peter said, in, right in 1, 1 Peter 1.30, he, he said, you know, by his divine power, he's giving us everything that we need. Right, right. So it's never too late. It's never too early. And you don't have to do it on your own. Right. We do it because of what he's done for us and what he's given to us. That's what enables us to live out our destiny. And there's so much more glory God wants to put on display through your life and mine. Amen. And here's a, just a final statement. If you go, uh, I skipped a lot. I got great slide people. They put up with me. Never underestimate what God can do when his purposes are lived out in the life of any person, regardless of age. Never underestimate. Because some of you just start to underestimate that in your own life. Don't do that. Never underestimate what God can do when his purposes are lived out in the life of any person, regardless of their age. Father God, we humbly come before you, and God, the fact that you would want to use us is crazy, but God, thank you for the testimony and life of Zachariah and Elizabeth and of Mary, and it's never too late, it's never too early to live a life that brings you glory and honor by doing the good things you created us to do. Help us to leave her excited that we have a power to tap in that's beyond ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.